I'm Spencer. And I'm Andrew. And you're listening to the At A Distance podcast from The Slowdown. Today, we'll be speaking with the Turkish-born, Copenhagen-based author and former politician, Aslam Sarah Sekik, who was one of the first women with a Muslim immigrant background to be elected to the Danish parliament, where she served from 2007 to 2015. During her time in the Danish parliament, Aslam received hate mail and threats, at first ignoring it. But eventually, she started a program she calls Dialogue Coffee, in which she meets with people who write these messages, working to find a common language and develop tools for building bridges. She just published a book about this work, Overcoming Hate Through Dialogue, Confronting Prejudice, Racism, and Bigotry with Conversation and Coffee. In this moment of great division amongst people around the world, Aslam is advocating for dialogue as a means for finding common ground and finding an appreciation for engaging directly in conflict. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Aslam. Welcome to At A Distance. It's so great to have you with us today. Thank you for the invitation. So what's at the top of your mind right now? When the corona will stop and when I can travel again. <laughs> that is what's happening here in Denmark. And when the summer is still coming, you know, corona changed a lot of things. And it affects us all. But Denmark is not one of the countries with a lot of problems. But still, still we have to wear a mask and... A lot of things is different. You can hug people. That is the most hard thing. Do most people wear masks in Denmark? Yes. Yeah, so people generally are, are following the rules. You know, Danish people, they respect in so much the rules. So when the government say, wear the mask, have distance, wash your hand, everyone do the same. And that mm. is the reason that we have so few people who died with uh, corona. Mm. Your Dialogue Coffee Project and corresponding new book, um, which seeks to spark conversations between people who hold opposing beliefs so you can understand prejudice better, has been going on for quite a while. You have a new book coming out. How did this all begin? Oh, it's a long story, but... You can take your time. It doesn't, doesn't need to be too short. <laughs> I ran for a seat in the Danish parliament as one of the first women with minority background. And... After I was elected, I get a lot of hate messages in my inbox. And first, I never answer the hate mails because I think that they don't understand me and I didn't understand them. So we have no reason to have a communication. So one day, one of my colleagues said that I should save all the hate mails. Because she said, when something happens to you, it'll give the police a lead. So I noticed that she said, when something happens and not if something happens. So that was the reason that I saved all the hate mails. And and in 2010, something different happens because a Nazi began to harass me. And uh, it was a man who had attacked Muslim women on the street. So over time, it became really nasty. And one day I was at the zoo with my children and the phone kept ringing. It was the Nazi and I had the impression that he was close. So we headed home. And when we got back, my son asked, why does he hate you so much, mom, when he doesn't even know you? 
and I said that some people are just stupid. And, <laughs> and at the time, I actually thought it was a pretty clever answer. But uh, one day I talked with my friend about all the hate mails I get, and, and he suggests that I should call the senders up and visit them. And I said, you know, they will kill me because I was afraid. And he said, they will never kill the member of the Danish parliament. And if they killed you, you would become a martyr. Oh, great. So it's only a win-win situation. It's a win-win. <laughs> so, uh, and, and the problem was I couldn't understand what was the purpose to visit those people. And, mm. and he said, so you can confirm your own racism. And I didn't understand him all because I wasn't a racist. But still, I get this idea if I visit the people and they saw a Muslim woman who pay tax and support democracy, I could make them good again. So in my head, I was the good one. They were mm. the bad one. So if, if I could make them good again, it will be a good mission. So that was my starting point. And it's, yeah, it sounds so crazy when I say it loud. But uh, so Dialogue Coffee start with that I visit the people who sent me hate mails to, to, to make them good again. Not so much to understand why they sent this hate mails, but more that I could, uh, yeah, I could change them. Did the did the hate mail start when you were running or once you were already in office? You know, the hate mail start before I was run for the Danish parliament. It was when I was active in the nurse union. But in the old day, people sent a, a letter. It's come in your home. And it was always anonymous. But now it's different. People send their hate, their threats online with their, their name and their surname. So they are proud of it. So it is, it is the difference. So it started when I was political active, but of course it stopped when I was member of the parliament. Mm. And now I can see, I still get a lot of hate mails, but um, it depends on what's happening in Denmark and in Europe. So when we have a terror attack, in the wall, and the terrorists is Muslims, they, I get a lot of hate mails. Uh, and I think it's because they can't find the terrorist email, so they find me on Facebook. Mm. <laughs> and that is the reason they are sending this, this mail. But I always trying to remember that it's because they want a contact. They want a dialogue. They, they want to have a conversation with me. And that is the reason. So I'm not so focused on that they are writing horrible things, much more that maybe people are frustrated as me when the terror attacks happening. Maybe they are afraid. Maybe I am the first one with Muslim background they contacting. Mm. So it's a big responsibility to remember to, to have this conversation in a good way mm. and not demonizing them. What was the first one like? You called him and, and, and what did he say? You know, the first one is was Ingolf. And I decided to contact him just once because I could at least say I had tried. To my surprise and shock, he answered the phone. 
I didn't expect that. So I blurted out and uh, I talked so quickly. I said, hello, my name is Özlem. You have sent me so many hate mails. You don't know me. I don't know you. I was wondering if I could come around to drink a dialogue coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and there was silence on the line. And he, then he said, I have to ask my wife. And I think, what? The racist has a wife? After 20 minutes, he called me because his wife was uh, other place. And, and he said, you know, it's, it's very fresh on you. So please come and visit us. So I buy some breakfast. I always bring food with me because when we eat together, it's easier to find something we have in common and laugh together. It's so difficult to have a fight with food in the month. A couple of days later, we met at his house and uh, I never forget when he opened his front door and reached out to shake my hand, I felt so disappointed because he looked nothing like I imagined. I expected a horrible person and a dirty, messy house. It was not. His house smelled of coffee, which is served from a coffee set identical to the one my parents used. And even our prejudices were alike. Ingos told me that if he waited for the bus and the bus stopped 10 meters away from him, he was sure that the driver was a rackhead, a parky, he called them. And I can remember when I was young and I had so many prejudices against Danish people and I wear a scarf. And when the bus stopped 10 meters away from me, I was sure that the driver was a racist. <laughs> so I have so much common with Ingos and and I think that was the most horrible thing when I said goodbye to him, because when I got home, I was very ambivalent about my experience. On the one hand, I really, really liked Ingolf. He was pleasant and easy to talk to. But on the other hand, I couldn't stand the idea of having so much in common with someone who had such clearly racist views. Mm. And gradually and painfully, I came to realize that my friend was right. I had been judgmental just like the one who had sent me hate mails. So it started mm. with Ingolf. And now when I visit people, it's never with the purpose that I want to change them. More, I want to understand why we have different opinions. And I want to that they can see me as a human too. What sort of broad insights have you drawn from having all of these conversations, just basically about conflict resolution, even beyond, you know, hate and racism, um, just about conflict resolution, how two people can resolve conflict? I think it's very important to remember that conflict is not that you have different opinions. A lot of people think it's a conflict when you have different opinions. But in the democracy, it's very normal that you have different opinions. Of course, the last many years with Brexit, what's happening in the US, in Turkey, and a lot of places, with the leaders we are electing, different population groups think that they are against each other because they are voting differently. And it's not only from the right winds who's demonizing people with minority background, it's from the left winds too. Mm. But when I ask people about how tolerating they are, all the people say they are very, very tolerant. For example, my father, he is voting for the Turkish president Erdogan and I'm blacklist because I criticize him. So I can't visit Turkey. 
and uh, I invite my family, my father, to uh, see the election in our house. And my mom said that she will only come if we promise that we will not talk about what we saw in the television. <laughs> Because every time we did it, we have a fight. So uh, imagine that you are sitting with your father and seeing the election in in US, but you can't talk about what you are seeing in the TV. And after the evening, my father said, yes, we win. And I said, you know, father, no one win. We lose, both of us, because we are sitting here, father and a daughter, and we can't talk about what we are seeing in the television because the leader we, we elected make all the trenches in between us. <laughs> and my father said, he asked me and said, do you think that you are a tolerant person? I said, of course, it could be my surname. And he said, if you are so tolerant, why is it so difficult for you accepting that I am voting differently than you? And it was very hard because I didn't know how I could answer him. And and I think that is the biggest problem that we always think that the others are the problem. The others are demonizing. The others have to do something. But we have to start with ourselves. I think it's it's important to get this personal responsibility for the democracy. So mm-hmm. so it is it is difficult to have this tolerance to to accept that we can have different opinions in a democracy. Out of curiosity, how many dialogue coffees have you had? You know, I don't drink coffee. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is the most horrible thing. Uh, but uh, I think I met a couple of hundred people. And now I have started an organization called Bridge Builders Center for Dialogue Coffee. And we are educating children to be more, more tolerant to be bridge builders. And uh, we recently have uh, educated almost 600 school children mm, to wow. tolerate the differences. And we're trying to do a lot of other things, but everything start with my dialogue coffee. And I never met someone who wants war. Everyone wants peace. But if you really want peace, you have to work actively for that. And you can't make peace in the world if you still have a war with your family members or with your neighbors. Uh, so, so conversation is is difficult thing, but but it is possible. In the context of COVID and the pandemic, this particular moment, there seems to be you know a sort of heightened sense of you know violence or even anger towards certain communities, including the Muslim community in Europe. Could you speak to your views on what's been happening, whether it's in France or in in other countries in Europe right now? A lot of things is happening. And I think some of this frustration is because all this terror affects us. Of course, when you see a teacher, they kill the teacher so, so, so brutal as they did in Paris. Of course, it affects people. But the problem is with the internet is that it's so easy to generalize because one did this terror. So people think it's all the Muslims. 
And a lot of Muslims contact me and say, you can see all the racism. What should we do? And I always say the best way you can do something is to be kindly, to insisting on dialogue. Don't demonize people. So when people write to you, try to understand that it's a wish to have a contact with you. Maybe they never talk with other Muslim. You know, we can always use a lot of time to talking about what other people doing wrong. Mm. But you can't change anything with talking about the other people. I think it's, it was Socrates. He said, if you really want to move other people, you have to start with moving yourself. So people have to start with do things differently. And I'm not saying that their behavior is acceptable, but I have learned to distance myself from their hateful views without distancing myself from the person who's expressing those views. Yeah, it's getting away from the idea of the, the monolithic unit. Yeah. What, what are your views on anti-Semitism and, and the anti-Semitism that's happening in, in Germany in particular, but also other European countries? You know, it's quite disturbing to note that, you know, there has been this group or groups of people um, breaking into museums in Europe mm. and stealing Nazi paraphernalia. You know, extremism, when you have one extremism, it affects the other extremism because they are living from each other. They are growing together. Mm. And I think it's possible to do something with this anti-Semitism if the Jewish people can't do anything. We have to do something. All the other people have to do something. And uh, Muslim people like me, who has a voice in the public debate, have to do something. And I was anti-Semitist before. When I was a young girl, I hated different population groups. And at the time, my religious views were very extreme. When I was a little girl, I saw, for example, photos of dead Palestinian children. And I hate Jews. Then uh, a Jewish girl started at my school. Uh, one day I was sitting in the playground and uh, when she asked me if I wanted to play basketball for her, and my first thought was, I can't play with a Jewish when I'm a friend of Palestinian. But I played with her and she invited me to her home to lunch. And to my surprise, I found that I could eat everything at her house because she didn't eat pork as like me. <laughs> and, uh, and gradually my friendship with her vaccinated me against my generalization mm. against Jews. And today I'm part of the Jewish community in Denmark. The chief rabbi have adopted me as his uh, grandchild. And I always talk with the Muslim people because some of them ha are anti-Semitists. I always talk with them that if the Jewish people, someone hurt them, their pain has to be our pain. You know, you can't, you can't sit down and say, oh, it's so fine because it's only uh, the Jewish people. That mm. is horrible that people can do things against other people without knowing them. And that is the most very important point. A lot of the people I visit who hate Jewish people, Danes people, Muslim people, or homosexual people, they don't know the others. They never mm. talk with them. And they have so strong feelings without knowing them. And I think really, I really think that 
friendship can vaccinate us against prejudices. We have to eat together, we have to talk together, we have to laugh together, but it means that you have to get this contact. When we, for example, have this um, program to educate children, all the week we educate them and the last day they meet their own prejudices. So we have two schools, the one was Muslim school, the other one was Jewish school, and the Friday they have to meet each other. And So there were so many problems because the Jewish parents were so scared about that was first time the Muslim children will come there. The Muslim people, they couldn't understand why it was necessary to visit this Jewish school. And the first on the Friday, they meet each other in the school playground. You know, no one say anything. They just look at each other. And after a while, one of the Muslim uh, boys said, what are you doing here to the other uh, Jewish boy? And he said, Yusuf, I am, this is my school. What are you doing here? And he said, I'm visiting you. So they hug each other. So after a while, we, we heard that they are playing football together. And it changed everything. Mm. After the day, I asked the Jewish children and I said, how was it? And one of them said, you know, it's not because I'm ignorant and it's not because I, I'm negative. But now you are asking how it was. It was so normal. It was so normal. And I said, oh, my God, that is what I want to show you. The others are like you. Yeah. I have to ask because it's just, you know, it seems so relevant to this world we're living in behind screens. What you're talking about are in-person experiences, really. And how do you think about this in that context? Like how important, you know, I know during the virus, it's obviously uh, quite limited in terms of in-person interaction, but how important is that physical in-person interaction? You know, you're talking about also eating and the yeah. the idea of breaking bread together. And I, I think that is the most important thing because when we when we see each other and we have eye contact and you can look at my body, language and can see that I'm not different than you maybe and and we know when we give each other handshake something happens when we touch each other when we smile the other one smiles too mm. so it is so important that we meet each other and I think when we can't meet each other physically it's important when you communicate it online that you remember to sh write how you look. For example, when people write horrible things to me, I always write back, now you can't see me because we are not in the same room. But if you were here, you could see that I'm so sad mm. to read your email. You could see that I'm so shocked. I don't know how I can answer you. I want to answer you, but I have to eat with my children first. When I get more time, I will answer you. You know, it's so important to show, to write to the other one that I am so normal as the other people. I have a family. I have to eat with my children. I get sad. And that is the reason that physical meeting is the best thing. Yeah. And with, without a lot of people, only one-to-one, face-to-face. Because you, if you have a lot of people who's looking at you, it's always changing to who win, who lose the debate. 
Right. But conversation is not about who's losing and who's winning. Yeah. On the subject of digital, you know, the internet has basically exponentially increased the idea of the conspiracy theory. And, you know, some have written in particular about anti-Semitism that it is a conspiracy theory. What are your thoughts on that and on this notion of the conspiracy theory as it relates to hate? You know, a lot of people think that internet is the reason, but all the opinions in internet is coming from people and the, the people is living, they exist. And I think it's very important to remember that you can't forbidden opinions and you can't ignore opinions. It's not means because you ignore it that it will disappear. So you have to take this critical conversation with people. For example, I talked with a, a young guy and he said, Holocaust doesn't exist. It's something the Jewish people saying. So Holocaust is fantasy. And one of his teachers said, don't say that. I don't want to hear that. And so, so she closed the conversation. And a lot of places in Europe, it's forbidden to deny Holocaust. I'm not supporting that because I think it's so important that you can say this opinions loud so we can argument against the opinions. So I asked the guy and I said, you know, where are you from? He was from the North Iraq. I said, so you are Kurdish? Yes, he was Kurdish. I said, can you remember what's happening with Saddam Hussein? He, he gassed all the Kurdish people. Yeah, he, he know that. I said, imagine if someone said to you, it never exists. How will you react? Oh, he will be so sad. He will be so angry. And I said, let me introduce you for someone I know. It was the chief rabbi. So because he survived the Holocaust, so mm -hmm. he can talk about it. So the chief rabbi come to the school and talk about the Holocaust and after the presentation, the same young boy come to the chief rabbi and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I have all these prejudices against Jews as Islam has when she was young. I apologize. And I'm so sad that you can only adopt one Muslim <laughs> as your grandchild. So the meeting is very important and the argument is very important. But I could say to him, you are anti-Semitist. And I could close the conversation. You have to meet people there they are. I know a lot of their opinions are not expect respectful thing, but that is the way they will listen to you. So mm -hmm. if you label people, they will close the door. I never met anyone who come less racist because I called them racist. So I don't do that anymore. Mm. And, and that's not mean that I'm saying that racism not exist, anti-Semitism not exist. I, I really believe that the best way to argument against this opinions is meet people, meet them respectful, not label them, not demonize them. Because what is the, what is the alternative for the conversation, for the dialogue? I can't answer the question. So we don't have any uh, alternative. That is the reason that we have to talk with these people with this sometimes very anti-democratic opinions too. Mm. 
So I wanna go way back for a second. Earlier in your career, you were a psychiatric ward nurse. Yeah. After speaking to you, it's not surprising that you were probably pretty good at it. <laughs> Could you speak about how, how that's uh, shaped your thinking, especially um, in relationship to your current work? What were, were there experiences from that, from that period of your life that sort of helped you understand the other or helped you understand the, the landscape of psychiatric context? You know, when I uh, was educated as nurse and the first place I was, there was in the psychological uh, children, I was so afraid. I was so sure that they will kill me. Mm. And after one hour I was in this uh, development, I played basket with them. They, I, I laughed with them and it shocked me that they were so normal. You know, when, when you look at them, when you talk with them, they have so many demons, they have so many voices in their head, but they never say it loud. So um, a lot of people don't like people with psychological problems. It's a big table in Denmark too. I really love them. I really love people no one love. <laughs> uh, because it is a very hard place to be, you know? You have all the world against you and you have so many demons in your in your body and you have so many thought and you can you can prove it you can tell it to anyone so i don't know maybe i'm i don't think that it's something i'm using but of course you learn when you are a nurse to have a patient mm. and you know that you don't have the patent for all the true you see only part of the person and person it's much more and the only part you're seeing. It's so important to remember when you meet people, and I'm not saying that they have psychological problems. I'm saying when you meet people, it's so important to remember that they are more than their own one opinion. Mm. They are human, they are parents, they are voluntary in the football club. So it's, it's good to remember. And how did that inform your time as a member of parliament? I was not bridge builder in the member of the parliament. You know, I was so good to label people. And it is it was because the political system is, it's so sad. You know, you have the left wins, you have the right wins. And no matter what the other said, you're always against them. <laughs> because it's always uh, left against the right. So I was not bridge builder and I'm not proud of it. And, and that is the reason I'm making so much dialogue work now because I'm activist now. And it's because I can see when I was member of the Danish parliament, I always talk about that the others have a problem. The others, the mm -hmm. right wings demonize, but I demonize them too. I call people who's, who vote for the right people's for not so intelligent, you know? You can see mm. it in Hillary Clinton, I think she called. Basket full of deplorables. Deplorables, yes. And you can see it in the Brexit, how they label people who are voting for Brexit. And it's happening all the way. Trump, I mean. Yeah, a lot of this demonizing is coming from the left wings too. But we can't see it because we think that we are the good guys. We have the right opinions and the others have to change. 
And I, I saw a lot of the Biden's campaign videos and I was not proud because it was some of them was so up down how they talk about the others. And I think if you really want to move people, you have to accept that they are human too. They have right to their opinions too. Hmm. You've said previously that that you can make even more of a difference now that you're free from party politics, and that's, yeah. that's very clear in in what you just uh, told us. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like, do you think policy, also if done right, could be a means to bridging cultures and peoples? You know, when I was nurse, I always think that the power was in the other place where I was. So I was elected to the nurse union and I was the first one with ethnic minority background so it was so big for me so when I go to the congress and they talk about a brown people so everyone look at me because I was the only one <laughs> all the others was white so uh, but I could see okay if I really want to change something I have to be part of the political party so I was member of the uh, Socialist Party. I said, I, if I really want to change something, I have to be part of their parliament group. You know, I have to be member of the Danish parliament. I was elected. I could see, ah, if I really want to change something, I have to be minister. And I talked with the minister. They all talk about the others have much more power than them. And now I know I can change a lot of things there where I am. So no one have to underestimate their own power, their own influence, because we can't all do something. There we are. Now I can see that because I'm not part of a political parties, I can acknowledge when the right wings do something right. Mm -hmm. I can say, oh, this is a great idea. We, I never did it when I was member of the parliament. And that is the reason when I talk about dialogue coffee, a lot of people misunderstand and they say do you take the responsibility from the politician? No. The politician have very, very big responsibility to build bridges. The media has the same responsibility. But you have it too. Mm. So it is, it's not to say that the others not have responsibility, but we all have some kind of influence to do something. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. We're living in a world that's increasingly not homogenous. And yet there are these homogenous cultures that persist. And, you know, I wanted to bring up the fact that Denmark and Scandinavia in general are still very homogenous cultures. How do you think we can celebrate diversity and get out of some of these long in place silos, whether it's in Scandinavia or around the world? I think it's very important to remember what democracy is, because a lot of people want consensus. They want that we have the same opinion. But democracy is the opposite of the same opinion. Democracy is that you have the freedom to have different opinions. So different opinions, it's good. It's good in a democracy. A lot of people think it was the first question I get uh, about conflict. That when we, have, when we disagree, it's a conflict and conflict is not good. But conflict is part of our life. You have conflict all the day. So it's not about how you can prevent conflict, but how you can be in the conflict, how you can be constructive in the conflict, how you can 
uh, find solutions. I think sometimes we take the democracy for granted, our own rights for granted. For example, freedom of speech. Freedom of speech means that everyone have the same freedom of speech. Not only the people who's voting for Biden or for Trump or for Brexit, everyone had this right to be diverse. That is the reason I'm talking so much about tolerance. And tolerance is not, it's not means that you have to accept it. Tolerance means that you, you can uh, have these different values, different opinions. And I really believe that all opinions are legitimate as long they don't increase violence. But I don't think that all opinions equally good. I will always believe that democratic values is much better than undemocratic values. So that is my starting point. So when I'm meeting people, it's the, with this values because I want them to support democracy too. But what happens when opinion trumps truth, which is what we're going through now? So freedom of speech is is obfuscating uh, the misinformation dialogue, which is what's happening. And that's the, the, the driver for division, right? So we're in this place right now where, of course, everything you're saying is absolutely true. The problem is that we, ha that we have to possibly have less tolerance for misinformation and falsehood. Yeah. Because freedom of, of speech is being, you know, misused right now and it's causing more division than, than connection. Yeah, I understand that. And, and that is a very, very big challenge with fake news and, uh, and the most powerful people lie. And when I'm talking about Dialogue Coffee, it's a lot of people want to do that, what you're doing now, to take it on the political level. Mm. But a lot of people are supporting Trump Trump has this power this because a lot of people are voting for him. I'm so sure that you know some of them. Yeah, of course. You have them yeah. in your family. You have them as colleagues. And the problem is that a lot of us, we don't, it's not anymore in the political level, in, in the personal level, it's in the family level, in the colleague level, where we don't talk with each other. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk together, talk with your colleagues, talk with your parents, talk with the family members you don't talk with anymore. Because if you really want them to support democracy, how can you convince them without talking with them? <laughs> you know, so for, for me, it's so political, lazy way to wish a change without doing mm -hmm. something. You have to do something. But in this context, please don't label people. Please don't demonize people. Because if you want to prevent hate and violence, we have to talk to as many people as possible, as long as possible, while being as open as possible. Yeah. And that can be only doing by dialogue, critical conversation that doesn't demonize people. And, and we mustn't distance ourselves from people. We must distance ourselves from the opinions, you know, that, so that is, you know, you know, important to share that people and opinions, it's not the same. And you can't, you can't, of course, change the opinions, but don't push the person from you. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. And it happens on both sides as, both as sides. you so eloquently laid out. I mean, yeah. especially in this country, which is why the, you know, election is, is comes down to very few people. You know, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's very, very much divided. But I do think that, that the evolution of this conversation is how we can find consensus for truth, not consensus for opinion. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's the only way because, because ideology is what's creating this division, not, mm. you know, and a lack of consensus on truth. But as we, as a final question, and as we sort of begin to move out of this very, um, very challenging, chaotic moment, What's giving you the most hope? Most hope. D did you ever s read the the book of factfulness? No, I haven't. <laughs> you have to read it. It it is great because it's take all the numbers and see how how the world is uh, changing. A lot of children get vaccinated in the world. A lot of girls are starting in the school. A lot of young people are active in the political level. But we're talking only about all the problems we can see. But a lot of good thing is happening. You know, if you see US now, you have still a very strong system about democracy who's making these changes. A lot of people change their opinions and vote for Biden this time. That is a hope. It's a big hope. I'm not so pessimist like a lot of people, because the reason we have peace in the Europe, in US, and the most majority places in the world is because people talking together. Mm. If you want a peace, and it's no matter the peace process, it's in Syria or with your neighbor, you have to sit two persons together and talk to each other. That is very big hope that a lot of places you don't have war. And it means that mm. people take the personal responsibility and you can't make peace in the world if you have war with your neighbor. <laughs> you know, you have to start in the, in the near relationships. So if, for me, a lot of things is going the right way. But of course, our brain always remember the bad thing. That is because it's hurt. Mm-hmm. But uh, the hope is the young people, how they were growing up and how they believe on democracy. But because you are born in democracy, it doesn't mean that you will be a Democrat. Mm. It's a hard job mm. to, to, to educate, to teach, to, to learn the young people that why all this freedom is not only for them, all the rights, but for the people who have the opposite opinion than them. Mm -hmm. But let me give a last challenge. It's for you. Okay. Or for all the people who's listening this. Uh, because when I talk about Dalla Coffee, I always end it with a challenge. And it means that you have to find someone you demonize, someone you think you have nothing in common and invite the person to Dalla Coffee. Mm. <laughs> your face, your face. Oh my God, why me? <laughs> no, no, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah, for sure. Okay. You, you have to invite the person for Dalla Coffee. And the most important thing is what's happening with the other person, but what's happening in your. Mm. Which voices do you hear in your head? Which 
prejudices do you have? How you demonize? How you label? So that is a way to learn something about yourself. And um, you have to remember this few rules you have in Dollar Coffee. Don't give up if the person refuses at first. Sometimes it takes me nearly one year to arrange a meeting. So when the person say no, don't say yes. <laughs> I don't have to meet them. So continue to invite and acknowledge the other person's courage because it's not just you who is the brave. The one who is inviting you into their home is just as brave. A lot of people say to me, Özlem, you are so brave because you you are visiting those people, but they are opening the door. Mm. I still not invite someone into my home. And don't judge during your conversation. Make sure most of the conversation focuses on what you have in common. And I said, bring food because it's always easier <laughs> to find something in common when you eat together. And the last thing is remember that bridges can't be built in one day. It, it can't. So you have to meet again. So that is the reason you have to end your conversation a good way because you will come back. Mm. And it is so important that uh, that we remember to to our own personal responsibility for the bridges. Mm. Thank you so much, Aslan. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about my new book, how you can make something with the hate, with dialogue. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of At a Distance, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can follow us on Instagram at slowdown.tv. To sign up for our weekly newsletter exploring the five senses, head to our website at www.slowdown.tv.